Book One, Chapters Thirty Eight to Forty of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book One, Chapter Thirty Eight. How tidings came to the Queen that King Luzuarte was made prisoner, and how Barzinan executed his treason, and how at last he was overthrown and the king restored to his kingdom. The woodman had carried the news of Lisuarte's imprisonment to London. Immediately there was a great stir in the city. The knights all ran to horse and galloped to his rescue, so that the whole plain seemed full of them. King Arban of North Wales was talking with the queen when his squires brought him horse and arms, and a page said to him, arm yourself sir what are you doing there's not a knight of all the king's company except yourself who is not gone full speed to the forest and why quoth arban because they say ten knights are carrying away the king prisoner holy mary exclaimed the queen i always feared this and she fell down in its swoon arban left her to the care of her ladies all making loud lamentation and armed himself as he was mounting, he heard a great cry that the tower was taken. "'Holy Mary!' quoth he, "'we are all betrayed!' And then he knew he must not leave the queen. By this time there was such an uproar in the town as if all the people of the world were there. Arban drew up his two hundred knights before the queen's palace, and sent two of them to discover the cause of the tumult. They went to the tower, and saw that Barcinon had got possession of it, and was killing some and throwing others from the walls for he had six hundred knights with him besides footmen and the king's knights suspecting nothing had all gone to their master's rescue the townsmen hearing this ran all armed as they could in haste to the queen's palace and there also barcinon went that he might take her and get possession of the crown and throne when he arrived he found arban ready for defence Arban, quoth he, you have hitherto been the wisest knight of a young man that has been known. See now that you lose not your wisdom. Why do you say this? cried Arban. Because before five days end, Lisuarte's head will be sent me, and there is no other in this land who can and ought to be king except myself, and king I will be. I give you the kingdom of North Wales, which now you hold, because you are a good knight and wise so retire now and let me take the crown and throne for whosoever opposes me shall lose his head villain and traitor quoth arban and then began a sharp conflict wherein many were slain which lasted till night for the streets being narrow barsinan could not avail himself of his numbers and king arban so behaved himself that he that day saved the queen at night both parties retired. The queen then sent for Arban. He went to her, armed as he was, and wounded in many places, and, when he came before her, took off his battered helmet. There were five wounds in his face and neck, and his countenance was all bloody, but it seemed a beautiful face to those who, under God, thought him their protector. But the queen, seeing him, wept aloud with great pity. "'Ah, good nephew, God defend thee!' What will become of the king, and what will become of us? Of him, 
quoth Arban, we shall have good news. For ourselves, fear nothing from these traitors. Your vassals, who are with me, can defend themselves in their great loyalty. But, nephew, you are not in a state to bear arms, and what can the others do without you? Fear not, lady. So long as life is in me, I shall not forsake my arms. Barsinan, who found his people had need of rest, took twenty knights with him in the morning, and went to a post which Arban's high steward kept. They at the barrier took their arms to defend themselves, but Barsinan cried out that he came to speak with them, and make a truce till noon, to which Arban, being advised thereof, assented willingly, for the most part of his company had been so hardly handled that they could not bear arms. Barsinan then went to Arban, and said he would make a truce for five days. Agreed, said Arban, but provided that you shall not attempt to take anything in the town, and that if the king comes we immediately act as he may order us. I grant all this, said Barsinan, that there may be no more battling, for I value my own knights, and I value you who will be mine sooner than you think. I will tell you how. The king is dead, and I have his daughter, and will make her my wife. God forsake me, then, quoth Arban, if ever thou shalt have truce with me, since thou art a partaker in the treason against my liege lord, go and do thy worst. And before night Barsinan made three attacks upon him, and was repulsed. Chapter 39 How Amadis came to succour the city of London, and what he did there. Meantime Amadis asked Oriana what Arcalaus had said to her. He told me not to grieve, said she, for within fifteen days he would make me queen of London, and give me Barsinan for my husband, to whom he was to give me and my father's head, and be made his high steward in return. Holy Mary, quoth Amadis, Barsinan, who seemed such a friend, I fear lest he do injury to the queen. Dear friend, cried Oriana, hasten on. I must, to my sorrow, replied Amadis, for else I should have delighted to pass four days here in the forest with you, if it had pleased you. Oriana answered, God knows how willingly. But great evil might happen thereby to this land, which, if God pleases, will one day be yours and mine. As soon as it was morning, Amadis armed himself, and leading his lady's bridle, rode on as fast as they could towards London. And everywhere they met the knights, five by five, and ten by ten, as they were seeking the king. More than a thousand they met, and told them which way the king was gone, and how Galaor was in quest of him. When they came within five leagues of London, they met Grumadan, the good old knight who had fostered the queen. Twenty of his lineage were with him, and they had been all night long scouring the forest. He, seeing Oriana, went towards her weeping. "'Oh, God, lady, what a good day with your coming! But what tidings of the king!' They told him what they knew, and Amadis said to him, "'Take you charge of Oriana, and bid all the knights that you shall meet turn back, for if numbers can succour him, there are already more than enough gone. I must go with all speed to protect the queen.' With that he galloped away. At the entrance of the city he found the squire whom Lisuarte had sent with the news of his deliverance, and learned also the state of the city. So entering as privately as he could, he went to Arban, who embraced him right joyfully, 
and asked, What news? As good as heart could wish, quoth Amadis, let us go to the queen. He took with him Ladasin's messenger, and kneeling before Brisena, said, Lady, this squire has left Lisuarte safe and well, and I have left Oriana with your fosterer, Grumedan. They will soon be here, but I must go to look after Barsinan. He then changed his shield and helmet that he might not be known, and bade Arban throw down the barriers, that the traitors might come freely on, for by God's help they shall pay dearly for their treason. The barriers were thrown down, and Barsinan pressed on at the head of his people, thinking that all would now be his, for his own men were many, and his enemies few, and he was eager to seize the queen. The king's party gave back being overpowered. Then Amadis went forth. He had on a rusty helmet, and a plain shield hanging from his neck. But he was soon judged to be a good one, and he went on making his way through the press, and having the good sword of Lisuarte by his side. He forced his way to Barsinan and encountered him, drove his lance through shield and corselet, and left the broken spear in him half-way of its iron. Then drew he his sword, and smote off the crest and top of his helmet, and the scalp of his head, for the sword cut so finely that Amadis could scarce feel the blow he gave. With another stroke he sheared through gauntlet and hand, and the sword, passing through the bone of the wrist, fell on the leg and entered in half through. Then Barsinan fell, and Amadis turned upon the throng, and King Arban so pressed them that they who could escape slaughter ran to the tower and made fast the gates. Amadis, finding he could not force entrance readily, went back to Barsinan, and finding him still alive, ordered that he should be carried to the palace and kept till the king's return. Then, the strife being over, he looked at the bloody sword which he held in his hand. Sword, quoth he, in a happy day was the knight born who shall wield you. And certes, you are well employed, for being the best in the world, you belong to the noblest king. He then disarmed himself, and went to the queen, and Arban was laid in his bed, as there was great need, for he was sorely wounded. At this time King Lisuarte was hastening to London. Of the knights whom he met, some he made turn back, others he sent through the valleys, and by all roads, to recall their comrades from their search. The first whom he met were Agrias and Galvanus, and Solinon, and Golden, and Dinadaus, and Berevas all six together making great moan, who, when they saw him, would have kissed his hand, but he joyfully embraced them. Sir, said Dinadaus, the whole city are in quest of you like madmen. Nephew, replied the king, take some of these knights with you, and carry my shield that you may be the sooner obeyed, and turn back all whom you meet. This Dinadaus was one of the best knights of the king's lineage, and well esteemed among all good knights as well for courteous bearing as for his good chivalry and prowess. When they came into the high road to London, they fell in with Grumedan, the king's so dear friend, who was conducting Oriana home. And I tell you their pleasure was exceeding great, and the old man told him how Amadis was gone to the queen's succour. Presently they heard news what Barsinan had done, and how King Arban had defended the city, and how by the coming of Amadis all had been ended, and the traitor taken. 
by the time the king reached London there were in his company more than two thousand knights. When he came to the palace, who can tell the joy that was made? Immediately he had the tower surrounded, and having made Barsanon and the cousin of Archelaus confess the whole manner of their treason, they were both burnt in sight of their own people, who, having no provisions, neither any remedy, in five days came to the king's mercy, and he executed justice upon some, and pardoned others. Thus ended this treason, but it was the cause of much enmity between the countries of Great Britain and Sansuena, for a son of Barsanan, who was a good knight, came afterwards against Lisuarte with a great power. These dangers over, the court proceeded as before, making great pastimes and festivals, as well by night in the town as by day in the fields. On one of those days the lady and her sons arrived, before whom Amadis and Galaur had made their covenant with Marasima. They, seeing her, went honourably to bid her welcome. "'Friends,' said she, "'you know wherefore I am come. What will you do in this case? Will you not keep your promise?' for to-day is the time. "'In God's name,' replied Galaor, "'let us go before the king.' "'Let us go,' quoth she. Then, coming into the presence, the lady made her obeisance, and said, "'Sir, I come here to see these knights perform a covenant which they have made.' And then she repeated what they had promised to Marasima, the lady of Gantasi. "'Ah, oh, Galaor,' cried the king, "'you have undone me.' Galaor answered, "'Better this than to die. If we had been known, all the world could not have saved our lives, and now the remedy is easier than you imagine. Brother, remember you have promised to follow my example.' Then Galaor related before the king and all the knights present by what treachery they had been taken. "'Sir King,' said he, "'I now forsake you and your company for the sake of Marasima, the lady of Castle Gantasi.' for it is her will to do you this displeasure, and whatever others she can, for the hatred she bears you. Amadis affirmed what his brother had said. Have we performed our covenant? then said Galaor to the three witnesses. They answered, Yes, truly, you have acquitted your promise. In God's name, quoth Galaor, and now you may return when you please, and tell Marasima that she has not made her terms so cunningly as she thought, as you may see. Sir, we have kept our covenant with Marasima, and forsaken your service, but it was not stipulated how long we were to be out of your service, therefore we are free to use our own will, and freely again enter your service as before. At this Lisuarte was greatly pleased, and said to the lady, Certes, these knights have fairly acquitted themselves of a promise so treacherously obtained, and just it is that they who deceive should be themselves deceived. Tell Marasima that, if she hates me, she had it in her power to do me the greatest ill that could happen, but God, who has preserved them from other perils, would not suffer them to perish by such hands. "'If it please you, sir,' said the lady, "'tell me who these knights are.' Amadis and Don Galaor, his brother. What? Was Amadis in her power? cried she. Now God be praised that they are safe, for certes it had been great misadventure if two such good men had so perished. She'll be ready for pure vexation to inflict the death upon herself which he designed for them. 
Truly, quoth the king, that would be more justly done. So the lady went her way. Chapter 40 How King Lisuarte held a cortes which lasted twelve days, at which great feastings were made, and of the many chiefs and knights who came there. Twelve days together did King Lisuarte continue his court, and, when it broke up, though many knights departed to their own lands, it was a wonder how many remained, and in like manner many dames and damsels continued to abide with the queen. Among those whom the king received into his company were the cousins Ladassin and Guillon the Pensive, both good knights, but Guillon was the better of the twain, for in the whole kingdom of London there was none who surpassed him in worth. But so absent was he that none could enjoy his conversation or company, and of this love was the cause, and that to a lady who neither loved him nor anything else to such an excess. Her name was Brandalisa, sister to the queen of Sobradisa, and married to the duke of Bristol. The day came whereon that duke was summoned to appear and answer the appeal of Olivas. The duke arrived, and was courteously by the king received. Sir, quoth he, you have summoned me to answer an accusation. He who made it lies, and I am ready to acquit myself, as you shall judge right. Then uprose Olivas, and with him all the errant knights present. Lisuarte asked why they arose. Grumadan answered, Because the duke threatens all knights errant, and therefore we are all concerned. Certes, quoth the king, a mad war hath he undertaken. There is not in the world a king so mighty or so wise that he could bring a war like that to good issue. But retire you at present, and seek not now to avenge yourselves. He shall have full justice. All then withdrew but Olivas, who said, The duke who standeth before you, sir, hath slain my cousin German, who never by word or deed gave him occasion of offence. I therefore accuse him as a traitor for this, and will either make him confess it, or kill him, or force him out of the lists. The duke told him he lied, and that he was ready to acquit himself. The combat was fixed for the next day, for the duke's two nephews who were to fight on his side were not yet arrived. They came that evening. The duke made such account of them that he thought Olivas could not produce their peers. They went before the king. Olivas defied the duke, who demanded battle three to three. Then Don Galvanes, who was at the feet of the king, rose and called his nephew Agrius, and said to Olivas, Friend, we promised to be on your side if need was. Now then, let the battle be. When the duke saw them, he remembered how they had rescued the damsel whom he would have burned, and he was somewhat abashed. They armed themselves, and entered the place appointed for such trials, one party through the one gate, the other on the opposite side. From the queen's window, Olinda overlooked the lists, and seeing Agrias about to fight, her heart filled her, and Mabilia and Oriana were greatly grieved for the love they bore to him and Galvanus. The lists were cleared, the king withdrew from them, and the champions ran their encounter. Agrius and his uncle dismounted their enemies and broke both their lances. Olivas made the duke fall on his horse's neck, but received a deep wound himself, and the duke recovered his seat. Agrius rode at him, and laid on him a heavy load of blows, heartily hating him for his great discourtesy and falsehood. But one of the dismounted knights struck at the prince's horse and buried the sword in his flank. The horse fell, and the duke and his nephew both assailed Gugrius as he lay upon the ground. 
Don Galvanus, closely busied with his antagonist, saw nothing of this. At that hour all who loved Agrias were in great consternation. Amadis yearned to be among them, for he greatly feared his cousin's death. The three damsels above were well-nigh desperate, and it was pitiful to behold Olinda, what she suffered. Howbeit, Agrias got on his feet, and with the good sword of Amadis, which he wielded, laid lustily about him. "'Ah, God!' cried Galar aloud. "'What does Oliva's us about this while? Better that he had never borne arms, if he fails at a time like this.' But Galar knew not what sore agony Olivas suffered, for he had such a wound, and bled so fast, that it was a wonder how he kept his seat. He saw the peril of Agrias, and heaving a deep sigh, as one whose heart did not fail him, though his strength was failing, he cried, "'O oh God, let me help my good friend before my soul depart!' And then, feebly as he could, he laid hand to sword, and turned upon the duke, and his spirit kept him up. Agrias was now left man to man, and he remembered that his lady saw him, and they laid on so furiously that his friends trembled, lest his strength and breath should fail him. But this was his custom, and if his strength had been equal to his great courage, he would have been one of the best knights in the world. But even as it was, he was right good, and of great prowess. Anon he had cut through armour and flesh in sundry places, and left his foe quivering with death. At the same moment, when Olivas, fainting for loss of blood, fell from his horse. The duke, not seeing how Agrias had fared, turned upon Galvanus. Agrias leapt upon Olivas's horse, and rode to his uncle's assistance. He smote the duke's nephew upon the helmet, so that the sword stuck there, and plucking it away, he burst the lacings, and left him bareheaded to the wrath of Galvanus, while he turned upon the duke. Presently, Galvanus, having finished his enemy, attacked the duke on the other side, but his horse being wounded, fell and bruised him, so that man to man were left. Still were all the beholders right glad, but above all Don Guillan who hoped to see the duke slain for the love he bore to his wife. The duke was flying. Agrias reached the rim of his shield. The sword went in. The duke threw off the shield from his neck, and still fled. Then turned, while Agrias was recovering his sword, and struck twice at him. The prince, as soon as his weapon was free, requited him with a blow on the left shoulder that went through harness and flesh and bone down to the ribs. The duke fell, but hung in the stirrup, and the horse dragged him out of the lists, and when he was picked up, his head was found dashed to pieces by the horse's heels. Agrias forthwith alighted, and ran to his uncle, and asked how he fared. Bravely, quoth Galvanus, God be thanked, but I am right sorry for Olivas, for methinks he is dead. They then cast the two nephews out of the lists, then went to Olivas, and found that he had just opened his eyes, and was asking to be confessed. Galvanus looked at his wound. "'Take heart,' cried he, "'it is not in a dangerous place.' "'Sir,' replied Olivas, "'my heart and all my limbs are dying away. I have been sore wounded ere now, but never was in such weakness.' They disarmed him, and the fresh air was of service, and the blood somewhat ceased. The king sent a bed whereon to remove him, and skilful surgeons dressed his wound, and said that though it was very deep, by God's help they could heal it. The queens then sent Grumedan to bring Brandalisa to court, and with her her niece Aldeva. Thereat was Don Guillon well pleased, and in a month they arrived, and were honourably welcomed. So the fame of King Lisuarte went abroad, and in half a year it was a marvel how many knights came from foreign parts to serve him, 
whom he rewarded bountifully, hoping by their aid not only to preserve his own kingdom, but to conquer others, that in all times had been subject and tributary to Great Britain. End of section 15